0: Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Morning, church family. Happy Thanksgiving. What are you thankful for today? Salvation. Salvation, amen. I'd agree, Eugene. Family, yes good friends. Health? Health, yes. Thankful for health. Thankful for enough health to be able to get my wood in this weekend, but I'm definitely feeling it this morning. I'm thankful for college students home. We got Aiden here and Cole. Any other college students home? Did I miss any more? You call out names and you start to miss people. Extended family around. Another Shannon family with us this morning. Any other families visiting? I'm sure there will be some online and If if you're here visiting for Thanksgiving, or you're participating online, maybe because you're traveling, if you want to have a personal conversation, connect in a personal way, then fill out the connect card. We have physical copies at the back. There's a digital copy under this video. We would love to have a personal conversation with you. Lots to be thankful for this Thanksgiving. Now, I know you've got turkeys in the oven. Maybe you've already had your turkey dinner and that'll affect you in different ways. Lots of plans for the long weekend. Maybe you're heading to grandma's house next, so let's get right into it, shall we? Your family, your church, and the world. This is week four, which means we're halfway through our fall series. Can you believe it's Thanksgiving (laughs) 2023? It's wild. Uh, Last week, we took some time to discuss the snake in the garden, the devil in the desert, We discovered that Satan's truth-twisting, his doubt-infusing tactics, they haven't really changed all that much. But that doesn't mean these lies haven't permeated in our world. Has our modern society so embraced the lies of the enemy that we would question the relevance and importance of family relationships today? Today, Lord willing, we're going to dig into... Three cultural impacts of the devil's lies on modern society and families. So let's get right into it. Ephesians chapter 4, if you would turn there. This is our key passage for the day. We're going to keep coming back to it. When we preach, we want to have one main passage that we're exegeting from. So... Ephesians chapter 4 is our passage. It was the reading reminder. If you don't have an outline for this series, if you haven't downloaded it from the newsletter, you haven't grabbed a physical copy in the lobby, it has all of the readings for the whole fall series, all eight weeks. You can read ahead and put some thought and discussion into it before the sermon time so that you can get the most out of this content. You can give the Holy Spirit the most opportunity to work through the truth of God's word in your heart and life. I would encourage you to do that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, and here's their duty to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We don't hire pastors so he can do everything for us, we hire a pastor. We call the elders, the deacons, the leaders of the church to give the work of the ministry into the hands of the saints. Our job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature Manhood, mature womanhood, mature adulthood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Christ is always the measure. We don't measure up to God's glory. We've all fallen short. Christ is the measure. We're sharing this journey, stepping every day, Lord willing, in sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ. He is the goal. We set our eyes on Him. Verse 14 So that we may no longer be children. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And get this language here. Think about last week's sermon. By human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Isn't that what we talked about last week? Deceit, schemes, cunning, crafty. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love. Isn't that how Jesus responded? Matthew chapter 4, he gave the devil the truth of God's word. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Has anybody told you recently, grow up? (laughs) Grow up in every way, into him who is the head, into Christ. He's always the goal and the direction of our focus. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You ever driven a vehicle where every part wasn't working properly? Remember back in the day I worked with a couple brothers in a landscaping business and they had this old Ford and it had no power steering. So when you got up to the stop sign and you had to turn, the passenger had to lean over and grab on that big wheel and help haul it over so we could make the turn through the intersection. It's important to have every part working properly. The verse says Each part, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Three things. A body is meant to grow and develop and mature. A body is controlled by the mind, the head, who in the case of the church is Christ. And number three, a body is designed to rely on each part doing its job. Those are our three points for today. Let's pray as we begin. God, I thank you for your word this morning. Would you make it clear to us? We know that it's profitable. Would you correct us with it? Would you train us in it? Would you instruct us? Would you reprove us? God, we thank you for your word this morning. Help us to take it to heart. Help us to apply what the spirit is speaking into our souls through the power of your word this morning. God, we thank you for it. And we commit this time to you for your glory, For your name, your will, and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's our first lie and its impact on the family. You ready? I heard it sure. (laughs) Delayed adolescence. A body's meant to grow, it's meant to develop, it's meant to mature. But adulthood and maturity is often delayed these days. Have you noticed this? There's a lot of irony here delayed adolescence in our technological information age. You'd think with smartphones and internet and social media that kids and teens would be forced to grow up faster. I had a few conversations yesterday and we were talking about kids and they grow so fast, right? And it seems like it's speeding up because in today's day and age, they have so many adult conversations and information and video and graphic and media shoved in their face. Like the conversations that kids have these days, I never would have had entertained in my presence as a child in my day. I had sexual education class in grade eight. What grade is it now? It's down in elementary school. The conversations that we have and the images and the information that's available at our fingertips at a young age, you would think that would equate to growing up faster right? My kids have all this information, all this news, all this media. I remember 9-11. I was in grade seven. Maybe that makes you feel old. But that was the first time where I thought, wow, this stuff happens in the real world. Well, think about kids these days. Pandemics, war, economic collapse, climate change. These conversations happen in the rooms that kids are present in all the time now. So you would think it would cause kids to grow up really, really fast, right? The world is an evil, scary place, and we need to take some responsibility. You would think those conversations would equate to that. But actually, the inverse is true. Ephesians 4 calls us to grow up in every way to mature adulthood, but the reality is today's generation is progressing toward adulthood at a historically low rate, Researchers at San Diego State University and Brian Meyer College report that today's teenagers are less likely to engage in adult activities than teens from older generations. This review, published in the journal called Child Development, looked at data from seven national surveys conducted between 1976 and 2016. Together, the surveys included over 8 million 13 to 19-year-olds from varying racial, economic, and regional backgrounds, Participants were asked a variety of questions and how they spent their time outside of school. Responses were tracked over time. The study authors found that since around the year 2000, teens have become considerably less likely to drive or want to get their driver's license, to have an after-school job, and to date By the early 2010s, it also appeared that 12th graders were going out far less frequently than 8th graders in the 90s. 8th graders in the 90s had more of a social interaction face-to-face than 12th graders do these days. None of this is probably (laughs) new to you. The fact that teens are glued to their computers and smartphones, like many of us adults, for much of the day, may have contributed to the results the authors suggest. Columbia University psychiatrist Mirjana Domaconda, I think I probably got that wrong, but you'll forgive me, says this, 25 is the new 18, and delayed adolescence is no longer a theory but a reality. In some ways, we are all in a psychosocial moratorium, experimenting with a society where swipes constitute dating and likes are equivalent of conversation. Social media can be a wonderful thing. When it's used within balance, with parameters, to connect with loved ones across the globe, it can be a great thing. But when we are so immersed in our society in a digital age where everything becomes digital, it can really affect that face-to-face interaction, can't it? You've probably experienced that. Overly immersed society puts the damaging effects on display in our children and our youth. Let's talk about the impacts on family. Jean M. Twinge is responsible for the study that I referenced earlier. She wrote a book called Generations, and Paul Carter writes a review to this book, and here's what he said. Millennials, that's my generation, have not embraced marriage or childbearing at anything near historical levels. They are delaying marriage by almost a decade and are having far fewer children than any generation in North American history. My grandparents, and probably yours too, were married by 20 years old. Have you heard those stories? Today, the average is almost 30 years old. The scary part of that being the average age has been delayed five years since the 90s. In the last 30 years, that average age has gone up by another five years. So if that trend continues, and if you do the math and it continues to increase at the rate it does, the average age to marry in my kid's generation could be 35 to 40 years of age. So let's think about that. This will also continue to have huge impacts on birth rate, family size, intergenerational opportunity. If you get married at 40, your childbearing years are limited compared to getting married at 20. That just makes sense, doesn't it? So as the age between generations increases, we lose opportunity to relate and interact intergenerationally. If I'm 70, when my kid's generation gets married, what influence will I have on my grandkids by the time they're born and get to an age where they can be influenced and matured and be ready for some of those conversations, and I'm in my 80s, late 80s, what opportunity does the next generation have for the, to learn from the previous generations? Do you see where that trend goes to? What will families look like in 20 to 30 years if delayed adolescence continues to skyrocket? And this is a huge conversation, and there are so many factors, so let's move on. (laughs) No, just kidding. Let's jump to scripture. We need to see what the truth of God's word says. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. The writer of Hebrews has just talked about priests in the order of Melchizedek, the king priest, and how Jesus is our great high priest. He is a kingly priest. And then in verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 5, the writer says this, about this we have much to say. I hope you realize it's hard to condense all this into a 35-minute sermon on a Sunday. We have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. You know, every generation complains about the next generation being soft. Have you made any of those comments? Back in my day, you know, it was uphill to school both ways in a snowstorm. We had to actually bike to our friend's house and knock on the door if we wanted to interact with them, and... Doing research meant you actually went to a place called the library. Has the next generation become dull of hearing because we harp on them so much because they need to grow up? They're tired of hearing it. I, I don't know. Verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need somebody to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. What happens if you give a baby solid food? They choke. They're not ready for it. (laughs) They throw up. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of offensive, isn't it? You need baby food. You're not ready for the steak. You need the milk. Let's be sure to do some self-examination in this regard. This sounds like a parent speaking to their child, doesn't it? You should really know this by now. Do we need to go over it again? The basic principles of the Bible. Verse 13. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. We should not be involved in a church family, attending a life group, Having been a Christian on the Jesus journey for years and years and years and still be children when it comes to our understanding of the basic principles of the word of God. There should be this progression called sanctification where daily we are becoming more like Christ where we're involved in disciplines like a daily devotional habit where we spend time in God's word and spend time in prayer. We should be involved in assembling as the body of Christ in a large group corporate setting like today and then in a small group setting like life groups. We should be engaged in the mission, talking to people about our faith. We should not be where we were five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, however long the experience has been for you. There should be a progression, should there not? The same is true for my son. I would hope at this point that he can eat his breakfast and get dressed and tie his shoes and pack his backpack before it's time to go to school. But that doesn't happen all at once. And school is progressive. And what he learned in primary, they're building on now in grade three. That's how life works. So we've got to be able to meet people where they're at with the basic principles of the truth of God's word, but then encourage them to go from there and to grow up to maturity, to mature adulthood like Christ, following his example. Now, if you're going to discern the lies of the enemy in a society that has so embraced them, then you need two things. You need a trainer and you need constant practice. Isn't that true? You need somebody who's a little further ahead of you in this journey of following Jesus, who knows a little more about you when it comes to Scripture, who can help train you and disciple you so that you can consistently and constantly practice the principles of God's Word. That's our mission, to be disciples who make disciples. If you don't have somebody who's a little further ahead of you in the game, who can help point you in the right direction, facilitate some of those conversations, help you understand the basic principles of the truth of God's word, then you are not going to mature at the rate that you should. Because that's the strategy that God has put in place for his church when Jesus gave the Great Commission, to be disciples who train disciples. That's what it's all about. You are not going to be able to discern the tactics of the enemy if you don't have somebody who's discipling you and you're not practicing the principles of God's word. It's just not going to happen. That's what growing up is, isn't it? It's a series of trial and error. It's constant practice. It's training. Maybe the issue for our society today is they have no understanding of the basic principles of God's word. Have you engaged with somebody on a conversation of faith who has no church background? They probably don't believe in intelligent design or that there is a creator God who made everything that they see. They probably don't understand that they're accountable to him. Maybe they've never opened the Bible. They probably didn't grow up going to Sunday school like previous generations did. It's like starting at ground zero. Somehow we need to understand how to meet people there and call them forward in their discipleship. We need to be able as a ministry to be flexible enough to become all things to all men that we might win some, meeting people where they're at, but then being a ministry that's built on God's word that knows we cannot leave people there. We need to help people grow and develop and be discipled so that they can move ahead in sanctification on their journey of becoming more and more like Christ. That's what we need to be doing as a ministry, and that's what's going to combat this modern phenomenon of delayed adolescence, how can we break that trend, flatten the curve? <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't use that term. Lie number two, individualism. Individualism is all about independence, self-reliance. These are good traits at their basic level. I mean, we just talked about delayed adolescence and wanting people to mature and develop and grow. So getting some independence and getting some self-reliance, being able to tie your shoes before school, Those are good things, aren't they? We would say a hearty amen. We need to be a little more independent and take some responsibility for ourselves. But when taken too far, individualism leads to the idea that I don't need relationships. I'm fine on my own. I can do it on my own. There's a lie that comes straight from the devil that says you've got what you need. You don't need anyone else. Radical individualism is almost a celebration of Satan's strategy. He wants to divide. He wants to separate you. He wants to drive a wedge into every relationship that you have. Individualism, at its full extent, says, I don't need anyone else. But Ephesians 4 makes that lie pretty clear, doesn't it? We, as the church, are a body. We're joined together, working together, united together. The body only grows if each and every part is functioning toward the benefit of the whole. The foot can't say to the hand, the eye can't say to the ear, we don't need you in the body. Every part is collectively necessary. Individualism obviously impacts the family. Jean M. Twenge is the researcher and author that I quoted earlier, and she writes this, When younger adults who don't want children are asked why, the majority in national polls name not financial issues, not climate change, but reasons centered on individualism, such as the desire for more leisure time, wanting more personal independence, and the choice-based matter of fact, I just don't want them. We like our freedoms and independence these days, don't we? Kids obviously affect that. I remember when Reese was born. And the days after the baby comes are like a whirlwind, right? You have all these people coming and congratulating. And because we named him Reese, we got all of these chocolate peanut butter bars. And that was great. (laughs) We should have named Jade Kit Kat or something like that. But everybody says day three is like when everything becomes real. And that was true in our experience. Day three hit, and I remember this overwhelming sense of, wow, this is my life now. This is the biggest responsibility I've ever had in my life to share with my wife. This little human being that we are raising is now our full-time responsibility for the next 18 years plus. They're, they're hanging on everything that we do, night and day, food and diaper changes, and all of a sudden it hits you like, wow. I thought buying our first house was a big responsibility. This, it kind of kicks at the old individualism value in the back of your mind, doesn't it? That you're no longer free to do whatever you want. That when your friends call you and say, hey, we're gonna do a bachelor party trip to Colorado and we're gonna go mountain biking, Josh, you should come. And I know that my wife is pregnant, but nobody else does and that my child is gonna be born right around when they go to that trip and I gotta say no to a trip to Colorado mountain biking. That was one of the biggest things in my mind then, like, oh, kids are gonna require a lot of sacrifice. I can't go to Colorado and go mountain biking. (laughs) And then you come to find out that it affects your daily schedule, your daily habits. If you go to the gym or when you go to the gym, what you eat for breakfast, when you get up, when you go to bed, it it changes everything about your daily life. And all I wanted to do was to call my parents and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. I never realized what you gave up to have me and to care for me and to raise me. Do you realize the nature of the gospel flies in the face of hyper-individualism? That God doesn't need you, but he loves you and he desires a relationship with you so much that he would give his only son for you, that God would adopt you into his family, give you the gift of his spirit, his presence with you always. 1 John 3 and verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. I think it's the King James Version says, Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. What kind of sacrificial, unconditional love God has shown you. And the church, by nature, must reflect that relational, unconditional, agape love of the Father in its relationships with each other and with the community. We cannot be an island unto ourselves. We need each other. The early church put this on display. Acts chapter 2 and verse 44. All who believed were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Just a couple chapters later, Acts chapter 4 verse 32. The full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own and they had everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, laid it at the apostles' feet, that it was distributed to each as any had need. They had everything in common, everything in common. This is our value of community. We need each other. God designed us for relationships. God gifted each person in the church differently with a spiritual gift that when plugged into the body of Christ, works together, each doing its part for the building up and building into Christ. It's a way in which the saints are equipped for the ministry so that the body can be built up in love. The devil wants you to believe at the core of your being that you don't need anyone's help. He plays on your pride, your ego. You become more and more unaware of the people around you and more and more focused on yourself. Society has bought into this lie, it's all about me, taking care of me, my health, my dreams, my desires, and that causes the value of family to go on a downward spiral. If life is about me, why would I ever get married? Why would I ever desire to have kids? They would take up space in my schedule, space in my house, space in my budget, space in my mind. Can I really give all that up? Isn't that what God did for us? He gave 33 years to become one of us, to save us. He's preparing a place for us. He paid the ultimate price for us. He's so mindful of you that he has every hair of your head numbered. You've got something to be thankful for this Thanksgiving, don't you? We're now called to love and treat others the way that God first loved us. All right. One final lie to confront with the truth. You still with me? Okay. That turkey's coming. I can taste it. Affluence, the articles that I've cited already, each one lists society's increasing prosperity as a key to both delayed adolescence and individualism. So affluence kind of ties it together. An article in Scientific America based on Twenge's research says, the more likely explanation for this new extended adolescence is its relationship to affluence the analysis found adolescents were more likely to take part in adult activities if they came from large families or those with lower incomes. This mirrors so-called life history theory, the idea that exposure to an unpredictable, impoverished environment as a kid leads to faster development, whereas children who grow up with more resources, and financial security, have a slower developmental course. Isn't that interesting? But it makes sense, doesn't it? Haven't you heard the testimonies of difficult environments where someone had to become an adult really quick to take care of their younger siblings? Maybe that's the story of your parents or grandparents. They had to go back to work The kids had to grow up real fast, maybe get out of school and go into the workforce to support mom and the kids when dad didn't make it home from the war. A friend shared a story last month right here in this room where he and his wife were unable to make rent, so their son went to work to help pay the rent. We lose some entitlement and some privilege when we're forced to take some responsibility at a young age, don't we? That's not necessarily a bad thing. Affluence obviously has an impact on individualism as well. Why would you borrow a cup of sugar from the neighbor when you can order it online and it shows up at your doorstep? You don't have to walk down the road. Elsie and I were working our way through a busy season last year, and we're trying to figure out when we were going to pick up groceries. That was the big question in our schedule. And Elsie said, why don't we try click and collect at the grocery store? I'll go online while I'm at home. We're a one-car family, so the schedule kind of gets complicated that way, so she said, I'll go online, I'll order all our groceries, pay for it online, you just have to pull into parking space number two. I thought, okay, let's give it a try. So I pulled into the grocery store parking lot, number two, I forget if I had to text a number or something like that, and then here comes the cart out to our car with all of the groceries and they're all correct. And I didn't have to try and carry that little list and find whatever packet of seasoning in the aisle at the back corner of Superstore. That person found them for me and carried it out, boxed it all up. They even would put it in the trunk. You don't even have to get out of your driver's seat. Did you know this? (laughs) Do you remember the first Christmas in COVID? We're all trying to figure out what to do for Christmas shopping? I was laughing about this with some folks in our church family. I spent hundreds of dollars in my pajamas on my couch on Amazon and just got the parcels sent to the people who were supposed to receive them. They'll even wrap it for you for an additional fee. Why would you ever go to the store? We don't need our uncle to help with the oil change. We can just pay the professional. You don't even have to make an appointment anymore. Just show up at Jiffy Lube. They'll get you in. We don't need mom to show us how to do the turkey dinner today. We just watched Rachel Ray on YouTube, and she showed us. (laughs) We don't need our business friend to help us with financial advice or putting together a resume. The computer does it for us. Haven't you heard of AI? It can do everything for you now. We don't need to stay at grandma's house. We'll just get an Airbnb. We have a discount coupon that we found online. We don't need the carpool. Garden, preservatives, homesteading. Why would you do all that? Just pick it up at the store on the way home or order it online. Click and collect. Whether we have the money or not, we can just get some from the bank or put it on credit and we can have the impression that we do. Affluence. It's kind of like the fool who said, I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger and I'm going to store all my crops and I'm going to say to my soul, you have plenty of goods stored up for a long time. Eat, drink and be merry. And God says, you fool. This very night. First Timothy chapter six, verse seventeen. Paul is instructing young Timothy, as for the rich in this present age, don't you feel rich this Thanksgiving? Like Thanksgiving is a time that's set aside in our calendars where we're supposed to be grateful for what we We have, have you ever had to like sit down and actually itemize a list? Like when you're moving, have you ever been through that? And the moving company requires you to put it in a box, put a little red sticker number on the box or on the piece of furniture. We did that a few times growing up and my parents said we could have a dime for every one of those little red stickers we found under the coffee table or under the chair, you know? You have to itemize every single thing that you own. Do you think you could do it? How much do we have? Verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, prideful, arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Have you learned in present seasons that riches are uncertain? But set your trust on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Verse 18, the rich, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous. To be ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Maybe social media has tricked you into thinking that real life is on a yacht in Ibiza somewhere. But King Solomon would say otherwise. The pursuit of riches is meaningless, soap bubbles. If you're going after money for money's sake... Instead, Paul says to Timothy, use your money for good. Put your wealth to work for the kingdom of God. Be generous. Be ready to share. You've heard testimonies about that in recent weeks. You see, money can go two ways it can be used generously for the kingdom of God, or it can be hoarded selfishly for the kingdom of self. And what I've found in my experience is there's not a whole lot of in between. Be generous. Be ready to share. Dave Ramsey says that money just shows what's in men's hearts. Money doesn't make you evil. Evil people use money for evil and good people use money for good as God directs them. It's an opportunity for the enemy to whisper lies into your heart when you have money and you have opportunity. That's why Paul tells Timothy to warn them. Moses says the same thing. This is one of the last passages that I'm going to read. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses gives this big sermon called the book of Deuteronomy before the Israelites go into the promised land as a reminder of the faithfulness of God and warnings for when they enter. This is one of the warnings. Deuteronomy chapter eight and verse 11. This is a good one for Thanksgiving (laughs) right here. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today. Verse 12. Lest when you have eaten and are full, amen, can I get an amen? Have built good houses, live in them. When your herds and flocks multiply, your silver and gold is multiplied, all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through great and terrifying wilderness, with its fiery serpents, scorpions, thirsty ground, where there's no water who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna and your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you power to get the wealth. That he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today, you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. It's a powerful scripture, isn't it? Listen, the idea that power and wealth, affluence, influence, all the power that it brings, it can easily pull our heart away from our utter dependence on Almighty God. Gratitude helps us with that. This leads to delayed adolescence, individualism, and the continuing trend away from traditional family values. Satan wants you to put your trust in riches. He wants you to focus on yourself. He wants you to remain childish, ignorant, and immature. All of these things have drastic impacts on the family. Here's the reality I want to leave you with you have what you have for the kingdom of God. You're gifted in the way that you're gifted to be used in the building up of the body of Christ. And God invites you to put his truth to work, to be trained in the knowledge of Christ. This is truth, community, and engagement, our three core values. This is how we combat the forces at work against the family. I want to end with uh, Psalm 34. It actually says Psalm 34. I didn't know you were going to read Psalm 34. Esther said she was going to read a scripture this morning. We didn't know which one, but... It was Psalm 34, and I have it printed off in my notes. So could we end with Psalm 34 today? Would you stand with me as we read this? This is a Thanksgiving passage if there ever was one, and you've heard some of it, you've heard even some of it today. I'm not going to have it up on screen, but I just want you to meditate on these words as we close our service today. Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him, saved him out of all his troubles The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life? And loves many days that he may see good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their trouble. We thank you for the truth of your word that we can build our lives on today. Thank you that the truth of your word combats the lies of the enemy. Would you help us to be discipled in it, to practice the principles, the basic principles of the word of God? God, would you help us to be careful with the throne of our heart? That if affluence is what's sitting on the throne of our heart, our money, our possessions, our financial stability and security for years to come, the hope that we've placed in riches, God, would you help us to kick that off the throne of our heart today? And God, if selfish desires and individualism and this idea that we can be separate from everyone else, and that's okay, if that's on the throne of our hearts, would you kick that off today? And God, if we have a childish, immature spirit, and we haven't taken the time to study into your word to be discipled, to be connected to our church family and to be mentored in the truths of your word, God, would you help us to kick that off the throne of our heart? God, we wanna grow, we wanna mature. We know Jesus is the goal. Help us to have our eyes fixed on him. That God, as we would pursue more and more the likeness of your son, that daily we would pick up our cross and follow him, that we would become more like him. As we set our desire on your son, God, would that impact our families in such a way that the world would take notice, that the enemy would get scared, that society would realize that there's something different with those people who follow Jesus. Their families are healthier and stronger because of the love of God shining through them. God, would you convict us in those regards? For those who are mourning loss, for those who are feeling brokenhearted in this holiday season where we gather for Thanksgiving, God, would you encourage their hearts? Show them that you are good. Help us to taste it, to see it in our day, Lord. You are good. Thank you for these things, Father. Thank you for Thanksgiving, for my church family. Pray for them now. In Jesus' name, amen.